Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by the new psychological thriller, Unsane. From Academy Award-winning director Steven Soderbergh, Unsane stars Claire Foy, who plays Sawyer, a recent victim of stalking, who's trying to move on with her life. She changed her phone number, took out a restraining order, she's even relocated to a new city. But Sawyer can't shake the feeling that her stalker is still tracking her. And when she's involuntarily committed to a mental institution, she begins to believe her stalker has followed her there. Has her biggest fear turned into a reality, or is it all in her head? Rolling Stone raves, Unsane is electrifying. It will pin you to your seat, and Deadline calls it a bone-chilling nail-biter. You'll be screaming at the screen. Written by Jonathan Bernstein and James Greer, Unsane is now playing in theaters, and check it out. I promise you, you will be surprised and freaked out. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large out in L.A. And Ann, while the awards season is behind us, the specter of the Academy continues to cast a shadow over us in ways we never can predict. And, and this past week, some interesting stuff happened. There was a report that came out about John Bailey, the cinematographer who's the president of the Academy, being investigated uh, for sexual harassment charges. Now, we don't know all the specifics or exactly what this means, but what, what is kind of notable about it is that it comes at the tail end of all of this Weinstein stuff happening, a new code of conduct for the Academy. And so it's the big question here is j- just how much does this need to be uh, a factor in you know, the, the future of this institution, how it's going to start impacting not only uh, who's running the academy, but how the membership as a whole is being scrutinized. And you've written about this a little bit. What, what do you make of kind of the scrutiny that the, this new code of conduct could be bringing to a membership of thousands of thousands of Hollywood people uh, in all these different branches? Well, what's, what's really going on is, is, that, is that they... It, it, it wasn't supposed to be that this new code of conduct, which put into place a mechanism where there was a membership committee, which happens to be run by this guy who actually ran against, ran against, um, ran against uh, Bailey in in the last election. Um, so, so Ruben, uh, you know, this guy um, is sort of his his opponent, and uh, and so it, it's really a, a question of of also, you know, Don Hudson, uh, you know, he ran against her and her people, uh, the woman who's the CEO of of the Academy. It wasn't supposed to be the president of the Academy who who is actually. Uh, uh, you know, the one who's, who's being, uh, investigated. And, and he, uh, you know, we don't know a lot of things. We don't know how long ago these events took place. We don't, we don't know 
if uh, if there's really uh, any kind of um, how many people, you know, there's reports that he's hired a lawyer to defend himself. Uh, there's people on Facebook like Paul Schrader uh, and, and others who are, you know, mounting defenses of him because they work together. And, you know, there's there was never, any, you know, people it's it's the people inside the academy, the men in the academy are really freaked out. By a lot of well, this stuff. I mean, understandably, and I remember talking during the award season proper to an actor um, who was saying some of his some of his friends were telling him, "Well, nothing's come out about you, so I guess you're one of the good ones." And you, and this was somebody who was, you know, maybe in his fifties, early sixties. I don't know exactly. And he was saying something like, "Well, I don't know. If you look back far enough, you might find something." Every it's, single man on on the planet, you know, has something. I mean, well, it's, it's, and everyone's it's really, wondering, did they do you know, something what did they do? Life? Yeah. You know? And where did they do it? So we don't know. Did he do it? Did he do it um, while he was president? Did he do it uh, in the workplace? Did he do it? You know, whatever it is that's being investigated that we don't know. Uh, did he do it before the word on the street? And we don't know what it, what's true because the Academy isn't telling us we aren't allowed to discuss it with them. They are going to do their investigation and they're going to come back with a, a report of some kind. Um, uh, obviously, um, the Oscars were a lower rated Oscars, the lowest ever, you know, in recent memory. And, and they are, um, you know, the Academy is, is that's their big fundraising moment. And it was, you know, well, it went smoothly this year and, and, you know, it was a reasonably, uh, entertaining show, <laughs> you know, nothing special. Um, it, it really is a, a question of, of how they go forward. And, and the thing about, John Bailey was that he was one of the good ones, you know, he was, he was really trying to figure out what the definition of digital, you know, there's a lot of stuff to be determined, like well, Steven Spielberg clear, yeah. Wait, today. You say he's one of the good ones, what you mean is in terms of he's a real kind of cinephile type who's trying to get the academy to recognize great movies. I mean of- a good president. I mean in the sense that he's doing, he's a leader, he's making moves into the future, he's trying to figure out, you know, what are the documentaries, what are the what is digital, what is the definition of movies going into the future. There's a special committee for this. He made that happen. He redefined how the foreign films are being uh, voted upon. You know, he's really working to, to make the Academy more modern, even if he is 75 years old. And so um, I but think the- Optics suck. I mean, let's that's be right. That's here. I mean, problem. he started off doing interviews saying, you know, it's not my fault. I'm 75 years old and a straight white guy. And everyone's like, well, yeah. I well, mean, that's the like other thing is that he's not necessarily uh, uh, the best <laughs> the smoothest spokesperson. He speaks his yep. mind. He's very honest. He's not a PR guy. You know, he hasn't been groomed for this kind of thing. And he keeps finding that out, by the way. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, but so now this, we know why maybe he didn't show up uh, at the Oscars to talk. Well, he had that said night. it always shows, slows the show down. I mean, that was an excuse. I mean, yeah, Anybody but, in their right mind who's the president of the Academy takes that moment in the spotlight. You could be right. You could be right, and it, and it does open up this broader question of, you know, can can we ever have a, a man run an institution that is un, subject to this kind of pressure? If the potential for something like this to come up, at least right now, it did make sense to put a you know have a woman in charge, well, although the academy already had one. Well, no, I mean, you, the, the, all right. This brings up a whole other issue. Um, you know, which is the whole question of, of what is gender appropriate, you know, what is gender parity, um, you know, you, 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 he was elected, 
He was elected by by the Board of Governors, and he won fair and square, and he's going to get a fair uh, hearing, uh, hopefully, from the membership committee. But the the academy is like any other institution. It is political. I think it's interesting, though. There are power factions within the academy that are at work here. Well, it is, it, we're in this moment where there is so much more of an awareness about the value of gender parity and yet uh, also a recognition that just pu- just pushing for that is not the same thing as the realities of, of how different positions are filled. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I did a story about all these film festivals with openings in key jobs and the conversations around them about how critical it is to try to put women in them. Now, most of the jobs haven't been filled, but Directors Fortnite, which uh, is, is, is run by this consortium of French directors and, and is overseen by a, a woman director, a woman filmmaker, wanted to put in their in their programming spot. They said publicly, probably a woman, and instead they hired this guy Paolo Moretti, who he's is a very well, good guy, though. That's a yeah, great guy. It, so it's like it's not You've a not been a on fan him. of his. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, a, a very well-respected cinephile, but so probably well-suited for the job. So the, these are two different kinds of things, and well, I think we're the, still working out the, that, that reality. Well, we're, another reality we're working out is this whole question of uh, pay equity. And I have to say, I see on Twitter a lot of people, really mainly women, sounding the gong, you know, Claire Foy should have had equal pay, you know, with Matt Smith on The Crown, for example. And, of course, my industry uh, background leads me to suggest that there are reasons why people get paid what they get paid. Usually you have to earn it, and Matt Smith earned it um, by being the star of Doctor Who. And that was why he got paid more than Claire Foy, who at that point was relatively unknown and, and in fact did have the lead role and in fact became a star as a result of being in, in, in the, in the series, which was a huge hit and hopefully got some kind of bump in her second season and should have, and should have gotten paid more than she did. No question, but it's still the way it works. And I keep seeing people jumping up and down about, about how so-and-so should get this and -and so-and-so should get that. And there really is a process that needs to be changed, but it, you you don't change it overnight. You have to earn these salaries. You can't just demand them. No, the problem is what you're talking about is like, we don't have, all of, all of these conversations exist on a continuum, and we don't have the language to talk about varying degrees of mistakes. So if, if people were sort of fired up about an obvious, obvious miscalculation... Which would apply to, to all the money in the world. That yeah, one was say, horrible. In the world. That, that was, was bad. an obvious bad thing that happened there, especially given the fact that Mark Wahlberg and... Uh, the same agency. Michelle, yeah, and Michelle Williams are at the same agency... So that was a script. So for people who are fired up about that to then hear about the crown, it sounds like the same thing, and even it's though not. contextually it's not. And I think we see that the same thing with you know uh, sexual harassment. I mean, there you know is is Harvey Weinstein and Aziz Ansari. You know, it's these two different things that happened in, in different contexts. I mean, should we be conflating these issues? It's it's tricky because you know on the one hand you don't want to be the person to say, well, actually this one is not as bad. Or something to that effect, but it, but in the case of something like this with Claire Foy, it's an in- industry context that really helps 
uh, somebody understand what what happened there. It's sort of um, interesting to see someone like um, um, in in the case of of the Kate Blanchett, for example. She uh, was asked about Woody Allen for the nth time. And and she gave a very nuanced, I thought, answer, which is that, you know, if there are questions, reopen the case, give him some kind of due process, you know, and 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 the, you can't just judge him, uh, you know, without knowing all the, the facts. And and I think I think that many people in the case of Woody Allen, there's a lot of smoke there and there's a lot of reasons to believe his accusers and and, there, you know, whatever um, weight he's carrying over the years for all the different sort of unorthodox, uh, relationship decisions <laughs> that he's made. Um, but I, I, and I'm not judging Woody Allen. I'm not, but I, 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 I think that, that there are a lot of people who want some kind of reasonable process to apply. You know, it's very easy to jump up and down on Harvey Weinstein. That's that's easy, no problem. But there, there's a there is a fear that there's a witch hunt going on. Well, I think the, I mean, look, it, the first step is to acknowledge all of this sucks and is reflect a reflection of of real world problems and. When people don't know how to solve problems, their default is just to get mad at them. And we happen to have platforms online where we can just yell about stuff all day long. I am heartened by seeing things like when Francis McDormand drops the word inclusion writer on TV and then Ben Affleck and Matt Damon say their company's committing to it and Michael B. Jordan's company's committing to it and other people are coming out of the woodwork and seeing something where it's like, oh, this doesn't require the same sort of complex argument about the need to diversify or, or find pay equality. It's a practical solution that ensures that end result. Those are the kinds of things that really make a difference here. Less, you know, kind of pointing fingers at, you know, this, this production screwed up in this way and this did it another way. And uh, that stuff doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to get us anywhere, but we are kind of bit by bit finding more practical ways to solve at least some of the deficiencies of the industry, but it's it's going to be a while, and I'm sure that the Claire Foy story is not going to be the last instance of something coming out on this level or even bigger, where you know a guy got paid more than a woman, and maybe it was uh, maybe there was a reason for it, and maybe there wasn't a good reason for it. So, but speaking of Claire Foy, there's another excuse, a, a more productive excuse to talk about her this week, which is the movie Unsane that she stars in. Uh, is opening Steven Soderbergh's new movie, which I don't believe you've seen yet, so I won't spoil it in, in too much of an extreme fashion. But I do think we should acknowledge this movie um, because there are a lot of things going on with it, one of which is that Soderbergh shot it on an iPhone, and it's a really interesting thriller in which Claire Foy is, without spoiling too much, Claire Foy is a character who is uh, in an asylum against her will, and struggling to separate uh, reality from her delusions, or so we think. I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity to the storytelling, and I think the iPhone device, although Soderbergh had claimed before you wouldn't be able to tell it was shot on an iPhone because the quality would be so good, it looks like an iPhone, but it's effective in these circumstances because it's one of those it's it's one of those weirder Soderbergh psychological thrillers, kind of almost in the bubble territory, but a little bit more linear plot wise. 
Um, but it's but it's a strange movie in which the boundary between what's happening and what's imagined is constantly a part of of what of how you experience the movie. So it's not comparable to Tangerine just because it was shot on an iPhone. People shouldn't go in expecting that. It's it's. it's is it about weird... point of view though? Is that part of how Some, the iPhone works? Uh, I mean, the the iPhone. It's only in terms of what the movie looks like. I think there's almost in so, certain scenes have like a hyper real quality to them that I think contributes to this sense of, you know, you're, you're sort of inside this person's head, maybe, probably, but you don't really know. And even up until the final moments, it's kind of open-ended. And it's a clever device. It's not something that's never been explored before, but I think that there is something to that. And clearly, uh, it also helped them make the movie on the cheap. It was done in secret. I think it's kind of cool to have Soderbergh back in the conversation as this very unpredictable creative mind I love that about him. Yeah, yeah, I love and, that. And He's experimental. He always uh, has been. Yeah, I mean, for and the other thing I would say is that this is a guy who can go from you know wildly entertaining crowd pleasers to something weirder and more experimental. I mean, this is this, this certainly is weirder and more experimental if you were to compare it to Logan Lucky. And so that contrast is all you need to know about you know, just how much Soderbergh is back to doing what made him kind of an interesting creative force in the first place. It's also the second movie after Logan Lucky that he's basically self-releasing, uh, working with Bleecker Street through this kind of service deal. And we, we talked about this when Logan Lucky came out. Which um, was not a successful launch. It did not go it well. It was not I, a good marketing. Um, I mean, what he did, which is sort of interesting with, with Logan Lucky, was that he he ended up making a movie that was very similar to an Ocean's Eleven movie. And he thought uh, he must have thought that with this new cast and with this new setting that it would be different enough that he could sell it. But somehow it felt the same and it didn't open well. The marketing was not on target. And so I wonder how effective it will be this time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real open question because, you know, he told me at Sundance that the spend was going to be very different. Understandably so. You do have star power here, although Logan Lucky had both Adam Driver and Channing Tatum. This one is and Daniel Craig. Daniel yeah, Craig. Yeah, Daniel Craig. That's true. He was really funny in it, actually. Actually, but, he was the uh, best thing in it. Yeah. Very, no, very the, the actors were good in it. It wasn't their fault. I liked Channing no. Tatum and well, Adam Driver here too. You have, but here it's really interesting because here it really is Claire Foy. I mean, the there's a role for Joshua Leonard that I won't explain because it's kind of a spoiler. He's not a star, obviously. But, but the main character is really Claire Foy, and it, she's in basically every scene with a few exceptions, and, and the marketing puts her front and center, right? She is a star because of The Crown. She's now going on to do this new Dragon she's Tattoo movie stuff. She's a star as Queen Elizabeth, though. So the question but, but her face is, is how she does. No, no, all right. So, so what, is the, what kind of – do you know what kind of shifts in the marketing they've made? Well, what I I don't know the specifics. It does seem to some degree like there's less money being paid on uh, kind of the the big print advertising and so forth, and, and that it's more kind of it's subtler. But it's also you know it's a genre film. I mean, they're kind of going for that edgy you know horror movie sort of audience. There's, it's, it doesn't feel like there's like a highbrow sophisticated strategy here so much as it's uh, it's almost like a grassroots it feels like an a24 movie it feels like that kind of thing by the way i loved the trailer this week for uh, the the david gordon mitchell the new movie that he's doing with um 
<laughs> the, the one with the, 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 the skinny, skinny, skinny uh, star of Martin Scorsese's Silence, Andrew Garfield, who's also coming up on Broadway. In, uh, oh, yeah, in Angels in America. Yeah, which I yeah. saw from National Theater Live, so I recommend that anybody who can uh, goes to see it. It was fantastic. The is, is very good on, on this one. You're, you're talking about um, What's uh, the name Nick Garofalo's new movie, Under the Silver Lake, right? Uh, which sounds fascinating by all indications, a very long, ambitious genre-defying movie that is uh, supposedly can-bound, according to the rumors. And uh, I've heard... Comparisons to you know Mulholland Drive, not in terms of quality. I mean, I don't know, but in terms of the the kind of the it's it's a weird L.A. noir t- type of story, you know, that goes in strange directions, and it's exactly the kind of thing from you know one of those filmmakers who uh, is so unclassifiable that if they make one movie that that gets that uh, opens some more doors, that is by no means an indication of what they might do next. You know, it follows. While it was an unconventional horror movie in certain ways, very pretty, expressionistic, it was still a horror movie that played to the horror crowd. Under the Silver Lake is does not seem to be uh, taking any cues uh, from that movie, nor did It Follows take any cues from. No, from no this is a smart filmmaker, and I'm always interested to see to see to see what he does. Of course, we've we've gotten completely off track. Um, what else? <laughs> well, there's we... a lot of good stuff to talk yeah. about. I mean, you know, speaking of can, I, I do think it is worth noting that we put together a, a ginormous list of can possibilities um, earlier this week, and uh, it's been kind of entertaining to hear back from people about what we did or didn't include and what, what what's right and what's not right, because ultimately nobody really knows until the last minute. Well, and yet, the, distri- the distributors are starting to... There's some get there, word. You're right. There, are there is word coming in. You know, but, for, but there's a lot of open slots and a um, lot of possibilities. Yeah, and I'm curious and, to see the real big question. I mean, you and I are both working on another story, which is a follow-up to this. But the I think the real question is how far do they go with uh, women this time? Are they in the competition or not? Are they going to put the women in the sidebars? Are they, you know, are they going to recognize who's an who's a new auteur, who's an old auteur? Um, you know, are they going to be tough about uh, discovering new people and being willing to take a chance on them? Because you know what does them in each time is how many of these movies. It's like it's like they have to put in a few French ones. They have to put in a few from Asia. They have to satisfy the sellers. They have to. And put somehow in the, he always yeah. forgets to put an Indian film in, and everyone. Yeah, gets, and gets you know it. everybody needs to get their moment, and and he has to you know fulfill all of these different demands, and and then he doesn't have room to put a an animated film or a documentary film or a film from. It's the it's the lesser movies and the lesser genres that get pushed aside, and I'm afraid women are part of that universe and people of color and so forth and so we'll see we shall see it does i think also that there's it's it's not just on can in the sense that i mean there need to be movies that are really jockeying for these spots and there it's sort of like if if can wants to program a, a, a female directed movie and the people behind it are like well it's more of a fall movie you know that's their choice too and and unfortunate because women should be filling these competition slots and there are many different ways in which 
uh, power players can influence can. So it's not exclusively, you know, what are the what is the programming team going to do? It's what sort of pressure is going to be applied by the business, by itself. That's entirely true, and I and I think I believe that 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 the programmer has to be tough enough to to push people away and say that movie isn't good enough. Next time we'll put your movie in competition. They're, they're, they, they coddle. They coddle the auteurs. I yep, believe yep. that. Which, and you know, and, they, and they don't take, they, they say, if I can get away with putting Ciro Guerra in, in uh, you know, the great Colombian director of Last Embrace, in, if I can get away with putting him in a slot in in you know director's fortnight or or a certain regard then i'm you know i have another slot for an established uh d- director quote unquote you see what i mean yeah it's a juggling act that, that that ends up not necessarily serving the bottom line as well as it should but everybody he showed from- me a trailer in miami for his new movie birds of passage and it's color and it's widescreen and it's it's a kind of uh, drug running genre, you know, inspired by he told me Michael Cimino and and Sam Peckinpah. So maybe he makes it into competition for once. It's, a, it's certainly. I mean, Embrace of the Serpent was a really cool movie that had a lot of fans and got an Oscar nomination. So he's the kind of filmmaker who I would it would not be shocking to see if the movie came out well enough. Yeah, to, to, exactly. To get kind of. I'm also hoping that you know the new Claire Denis is in there and that. Uh, Alice Rohrwalker's new film that sounds fascinating about a time-traveling guy in, in rural Italy gets in there. I mean, there's uh, Barry Jenkins' new movie. I mean, there is a wide range of And there's of a, stuff. a Vim Vendors documentary, which has its opening May 18th from Focus Features. So it's a, it's a, it's a documentary with the collaboration of the Vatican. It's about J- Pope John Paul. <laughs> So I'm curious to uh, listen to me, P- Pope Francis. You got to fix that. You got to fix that. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're leaving it in. I'm the sorry. Don't. No, you got to take it out. Anyway, I have to say there is one uh, straight white guy who is often part of the Cannes family, but definitely won't be there this year, and that's Wes Anderson because his movie is opening this week. And uh, we should probably talk about it. Yes, Dogs. it opened uh, to Berlin. It so, did. Um, oh, I love this movie. It is it is brilliant and witty and vividly colorful and Japanese and full of dogs and great voice actors and it's also political. It's also really uh, topical. Um, oh man, I bet I, the studios are going to love pulling all those pull quotes out for their next round of trailers. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a fun movie. I, I I manage expectations on this because I think uh, it's not you know people know Wes Anderson and they know Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is certainly a Wes Anderson movie. It is not Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's better. It, well, I think Fantastic Mr. I, I, I disagree with that. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox was sort of turned on the well of emotions that were sort of rooted in the uh, source material from Royal Doll. And this one is, it's a little goofier. It's a cool world. And I, and it I, and is. I, it's not, it's I not an con- emotional movie at all. It's not, yeah, you know, it's where not quite- I get off on this movie is that I'm, I, it's, it's about being a sucker for visual style. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it it just moves right along. It has a plot, and all the characters are very defined, and the, the design of it is just so gorgeous. The, the way that they use the stop action, stop motion, 
and the way that they make it very seamless and smooth and the way they move from one tableau to another, it, it does. I would suggest that um, Moonlight Kingdom, Moonrise, give me that title. I'm Moonrise, you got it. Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. That movie really was playing around with these, these very carefully wrought uh, tableaus that he does. You know, he does them in his commercials. He does them everywhere. This one has more detail and wit and um, motion. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, it, it's um, from a visual standpoint, it definitely feels like somebody who's kind of played around with stop motion before and learned some stuff. Yes. Because the, the environments keep changing. There's yes. more dynamic angles yes. and stuff. Um, I think the the story kind of wanders here and there. If, if you've seen marketing for this movie and all the trailers and stuff, you kind of know what you're in for. It's pretty satisfying as um, it's almost like a it's, it's like a, a sort of a one-shot comic book. You know, it's like this one sort of snapshot and of idea carried along to its natural conclusion, and it's got some neat character development here and there. It's I just, really yeah, funny, though. It, it You're is, leaving it that is. out. It is, it is funny. Of course, it's, it's a Wes Anderson movie. He it's is not very funny. And no, Brian Cranston is is really good. The way that all right. So one of the one story I did which I enjoyed was was focusing on Roman Coppola and the sort of group group eth, uh, creative process that they have for creating these movies. So that it's it's Roman and it's Wes and it's uh, Jason Schwartzman and they, and and they get together and they brainstorm and they act out the the parts. And I just think it's great to recognize that Wes does not do this all alone. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's a nice it's nice to see filmmakers who kind of develop a, a merry band of uh, yeah. uh, kind of collaborators who share their sensibilities and you know the fact that you did a nice piece about Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman who got his big break working with Wes Anderson and Rushmore. It's like there is this sense of oh yeah, that's why I like watching these guys do what they do. And you know, as much as we're constantly chasing the new who's who are the new filmmaking voices or whatever, it is comforting sometimes, especially in America where we don't have a huge auteur system to see somebody who can consistently work with a reliable set of collaborators and make something like this that look a lot of people couldn't have pulled this off so it's certainly you get your money's worth going to see this one this week and next week we will uh, continue to I guess deal with the slow drum roll up to Cannes and maybe have a few more updates on that front we'll also uh, take a look at some streaming platforms and maybe Find a movie that we can watch and, and debate through together, and who knows what else might come up. I'm sure that, given the way the news cycle goes today, uh, something else will break that we'll have to dig through. Although I hope you do get a chance to see Unsane, because I expect you'll have some some sharp ideas about it. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.